another episode of James Bond and Friends. James Bond is currently on assignment this week, so they've put me, Paul Atkinson, from MI6 HQ and MI6 Confidential in charge. I'm joined this week by Phil Noble Jr., Bill Koenig, David Lee, and James Page. Could you introduce yourselves, please? Sure. My name is Phil Noble Jr. Uh, I edit Fangoria Magazine, but I'm a huge Bond fan, and thanks for having me. And I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command. And David Lee here. I run the jamesfilmdossier.com. Hi, I'm James Page, co-founder of MI6, and I'm still this week bouncing between whether it was a costume or a disguise for that clown suit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Phil, are you wearing your uh, Goldfinger onesie? You have well, to be. No, we're recording on November 1st, and that onesie was a Halloween costume, so I, it wouldn't be appropriate to wear today. But... <sighs> Uh, I did appreciate you the wore shout last out. Night. Yeah, well, no, I didn't wear it. I wore it. I wore it to a party a couple of years ago, and it's been on the it's been on the hanger ever since. But it might it might come out again someday. It's great. You should be proud. It's of cozy. It. I was about to compliment you guys on the shortest introductions ever, but then that derailed really quickly. So Sorry, I don't know. Does that bode well for the rest of the conversation? Well, it, it wouldn't be James Bond and friends if we didn't go off topic at some point. So may as well start the way we're going to go on. Start as you continue to move. This week, Phil has suggested we talk about continuity in the series, and we've kind of dipped into this well a little bit, but we've never had a concerted effort. It's usually been complaints and slight offhanded comment about about the franchise and about some of the continuity problems in the franchise, but maybe we step through it from a rigorous perspective and start talking about where they did some continuity things well and what has worked well for them. But I guess... As a series where the leading character changes reasonably dramatically and reasonably frequently over the course of the series, continuity has never been like sort of high on the list, would you say? Yeah, I think they, they started you know, with, uh, with Sylvia Trench. Like right out of the gate, there was some sort of attempt to establish a kind of continuity. And it was sort of, I guess, through you – know, for the first two. And then Goldfinger kind of was a standalone. And then Thunderball brought, brought Spectre back to the fray. But – in the 60s, it wasn't the priority, and I think that the franchise benefited from not prioritizing continuity. What do you think, Bill? From Russia with Love, had a, they had some continuity notes, but it it wasn't a major emphasis. You like you said, you ha- you had uh, Sylvia Trench, and then when you had the scene with uh, Blofeld talking to Rosa Klebb and uh, Kronstein, Kronstein says, as a, you know, he Spectre should have the chance to uh, get a revenge on James Bond for the killing of Dr. No. But again, but as he says, it's not guaranteed. They just, you know, he just thinks that, you know, MI6 will respond by sending Bond in. But uh, it's not, but if they had sent somebody else in, they probably would have proceeded with the same plan. And then with Goldfinger, it was like a very vague reference where the first time you see Bond with Felix, well, they, yeah, something about lighter and, Jamaica, but it's not a very clear reference at all, and and that's about it. So, and one of the things that the they did sort of shot themselves in the foot to begin with is that they filmed Doctor No from Russia with Love in the opposite order to in which they were written, and retained some of the Fleming continuity in terms of Bond getting references to his his gun going bad, and from Russia with Love that's going to happen in the future, and this sort of this sort of carry on. I was about to say some of the dialogue, you know, in that scene where. Uh, M makes Bond give up his Beretta is more or less taken directly from the novel. But of course, as as you just said, you know, they, they reverse the order of the novels. But 
ninety percent of the movie audience didn't know that, so it just becomes I, mean, I didn't know it the first time I saw a Doctor now. So yeah, some of that some of that break in Goldfinger was mostly down to Guy Hamilton not wanting to follow Terence Young's lead. It was Guy Hamilton that ditched Sylvia Trench's, Trench's yeah, characters in the they film. Were, they were planning on uh, on keeping her for a, a few films because originally they did. Well, obviously they didn't expect the the series to last as long as it has has and the plan was eventually that he would marry her is is where i is what i read somewhere uh which would have been a really bad misstep for the series <laughs> i was about to say straw poll on whether or not sylvia's trench should have stayed around well i, I was fine I, I was fine with her in the t- first two films and i yeah you know, i wouldn't have objected to her popping up in goldfinger or thunderball but you know really she was an unnecessary character maybe you can say that she provided a bit of background to the way that uh, Bond lives his, his life when he's in London, but, uh, you know, she wasn't necessary and she didn't need to be the same person each time. They would have run out of data ideas by about film four, <laughs> wouldn't they? I mean, they were already punting on the river or whatever and rush with love. Well, if she were still around for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I suppose she and Moneypenny could have gotten <laughs> into a fight as to who was going to cry the most. When it would have been a little awkward four or five films in for him to have this gal at home after he's racked up how many sexual partners uh, through, the, through the franchise. <laughs> Poor Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> the the 60s though i want to say the, the the franchise at that point seemed and i guess probably by extension audiences at that time just didn't seem as concerned and wrapped up in continuity as we've come to be in 2019 i don't know when i i don't know when our current continuity first storytelling model has started but uh in the 60s like it's got two of the biggest examples of them sort of just not having any real problem with abandoning continuity one is the constant recasting of felix lighter and the other is the the just absolutely ignoring first ignoring the face-off from you only live twice when you get to on her majesty's secret service and then once again after on the other side of on her majesty's secret service sort of i mean people want to say that it's there if you want it but i feel like diamonds completely ignores on her majesty's secret service he's just still looking for blofeld which is what he was doing at the end of Thunderball, pretty much. Or at the end of your... It's face-off a good pun there. Yeah, that's a good accidental <laughs> pun. Well, also, also, just in terms of a broader context, so like on television, at least American television, it was not unheard of. In fact, it happened quite a bit where the same actor or mm-hmm. actress would come in and play two different roles over the course of a season on a TV series. So, I mean, I was just watching a, uh, a Western show uh, last few weeks, and in two Robert Blake shows up in two different episodes as two different characters, and it's the same season. Now, back then, they made a lot more episodes in a season, but still, right. I think that uh, the producers looked at it more of a kin, you know, to a play, because in a play, actors get recast, and you know, you can't have continuity in play because people, you know, actors have commitments; they have to leave and go meet them, and so you bring in a new actor to do the role. So it was more more like that, but now it's like. Not only can you not do the uh, different characters over the course of a series, now it's like if you do one character, you right. can't have another role in the series ever again okay. unless you play that first role. Phil, if you were um, a consulting producer on this one, or well, sorry, in the 60s, of um, <laughs> you're talking to Cubby and Harry and you're saying, you know, what would you tell them about recasting Felix Leiter in terms of is this a good idea to chop and change or do you think that 
like the series would have benefited from having a continual personality. Oh, I, I got to say that my, my own philosophy is that a movie doesn't owe you anything except a great story between the opening and the ending credits. And and the the current fealty to continuity is poisoning franchises on the whole, not just Bond. And I think yeah, I, I tell it like it is, huh? man. Oh, I'll tell you like it. Yeah, tell absolutely. It like it is. <laughs> uh, I I think yeah, I'm I'm excited to be proven wrong by No Time to Die, but I got a I, my stomach sank when I saw that Madeline was coming back and that the other random woman from Spectre is apparently back in this film. I just don't know why we're going down that hole, and I hope that there's a great reason for it. But I worry that the reason is well, audiences want to know what happened after Spectre instead of just having a new James Bond adventure. Instead, we have to be serializing the whole thing and in a perverse way although i I love jeffrey wright as felix later it would have been such a shot across the continuity battle for me if they had just recast felix later because it's a tradition that every bond has to have multiple felix lighters under their tenure i mean dalton had two and he only did two films so to me that that's a tradition at this point (laughs) well just as an aside actors hate this continuity so thing they just hate it because right. well, except um, that it gets them the gig the next time i mean well, it gets but but it but it but it shuts off other opportunities though yeah. tom mankowitz on his commentary track for uh live and let die he said there was some thought to having david hedison come back sign him to some kind of contract to be felix Leiter. the problem mm. was given the books they had to work with they didn't really see felix coming back anytime soon so they gave up on the idea earlier on phil was saying i think he kind of pondered when the whole thing of continuity really started in films and for, for me I, I think it must be it's relatively recently and I, I think it must coincide more or less with the whole thing of origin stories because then you, you kind of need to have so, some kind of continuity but the problem with it is as I've said before is that they try and tie up too many loose ends when you know nobody's life has no you know most people's lives are full of loose ends and it's mainly loose ends and nothing ties up neatly and they just they make the mistake of trying to make everything connected to, to something else and for me that's really where uh, they've gone wrong in the last few Bond films that you know especially trying to tie um, Spectre to, to to Quantum and have uh, Blofeld responsible for the death of, of uh, Vespa Linden all, all this kind of stuff it's uh, it's just going far too far but I I think it's it, it's tied in with the the obsession mm. with the origins. so could we put it then at the feet of Christopher Nolan with 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 Batman begins insisting on making a quote-unquote realistic version of Batman where everything sort of has a, a logical explanation even to down to where he's like uh, what factory in Asia is sourcing his masks and stuff <laughs> does it does it then sort of um, take away from the audience you know asking the audience to be a little more imaginative and, and to have a little suspension of disbelief uh, with the with that uh, that sort of uh, again air quotes like that bulletproof approach to storytelling where everything lines up and everything is explainable and therefore explained. I think you've got a good point, Phil, with Batman Begins because that was obviously the year before Casino came out. That film came out whilst they were polishing the script for Casino, so I think Batman Begins had a big influence on the reboot. Yeah, and I'd like to say it's kind of like 
you know how Star Trek, I'm not a big Star Trek person, but they have like the two mm-hmm. timelines. They have the original, I forget what they call it, is it Prime or something? And then they have the, the reboot with um, uh, Pine, Chris Pine. Um, I, I'd separate the Bond franchise into the Cubby timeline, sure. which is, you know, Doctor No through to License to Kill. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, through to the end of Brosnan, died another day. We'll call that the Cubby timeline, even though, you know, he wasn't produced and he died after Golden. And then the Barbara timeline which is Casino Royale onwards, where they rebooted the character, deleted the history, rewrote Bond's history, you know, give him a new birthday, a new birthplace, and a new backstory and everything else. So we are dealing with two separate continuities. Whereas, you know, the first major section, it is the same character, the same man with the same experiences, even though they cast the actor five times. No, absolutely. There was continuity there. It's just that it wasn't explicit. Yes. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like the Batman Begins effect, you know, in 2005, and now we've got this brand new rebooted series. This is Craig's last one. They can't really recast the actor now. They've put themselves in this big hole where... Recasting Bond for Bond Twenty Six, assuming Craig doesn't do a Never Say Never Again thing, um, they're going to have to reboot the character again because they can't do the they can't do the shared history. Either that, or he's going to be in a, in an old people's home. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we did we did we did see his active duty career. Uh, the whole of James Bond's active duty career career span two and a bit films. Yeah, in the Craig timeline, and everything after that was. Afterwards, and I'm weirdly so. fine with that. We had 20 again, quote unquote, regular missions. Um, I I love that Craig. When the dust settles, Craig's era will be seen as this sort of experimental, you know, filling in the gaps of all the things you didn't see James Bond do up until including retire um, and be replaced. That part's fine with me, and, and the and I was fine with it having its own self-contained continuity. Uh, because how else could they've done it? But it wasn't until Spectre, and this is a reductive statement that I absolutely can't back up. But everything wrong with Spectre is tied to this continuity problem. There are parts of Spectre that work just fine. Every time it tries to retcon his whole story as this one thing that's sort of connected to Blofeld and Spectre, it stumbles badly. Well, specifically Skyfall, trying to bring Skyfall into mm. that, because when they were filming it, Sam Mendes specifically said, this has nothing to do with the first two movies. It's its own thing. And then it's like, come Spectre. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Forget we said yeah, that. And, and it's hard to forget that stuff. And I love how, you know, even in Casino Royale, where they're like, it's a reboot, it's a new character. They, they still weren't so hung up on continuity that they didn't recast Judy Dench. And that kind of loosey-goosey thing is... Well, the story goes, and you know, this is Bond mythos now, how much of this is actually true, was Barbara Broccoli was going to take Judy Dench out to lunch to explain to her that they were going to cast Daniel Craig and reboot the series, and thank you very much. Um, and as they sat down, Judy says, so when do we start filming? <laughs> Barbara didn't have the heart. And uh, <laughs> she, as you said, David, a presumptive close, and that's how we ended up with Judy Dench in Casino Ray. Hey, it's like my grandpa used to say, you don't ask, you don't get... Right. Well, <laughs> right. And then also, then Purvis and Wade, they did some interview. They said, yeah, she's played by Judy Dench, but it's a different character. It's the same actress playing two different characters. If you need it. <laughs> if you need it. And that's, yeah. that's sort of the problem with that Star Trek reboot is that that whole double timeline and inserting Leonard Nimoy there was just fan service to let fans know, oh, don't worry, this isn't the real Star Trek. This is an alternate Star Trek, which is such sort of pandering nonsense to me. I, I don't like having to cater to fans to that level because you're not going to get good results. It's almost like you're playing mm-hmm. both sides. 
a little well, bit. Well, I, I always go back to 1961. This was in the comics. So, like, The Flash. So, like, there was a Flash that came in, like, 1940 and, like, ran out and, like, stopped publishing 1950 or so. And then, like, 56, let's have a new Flash, but we'll, it'll be a different Flash, different costume, different character. But they couldn't resist. So, like, in 61, it's like sure. the two Flashes meet. And so it was this whole thing about the alternate universe thing, which is a well-known science fiction trope. And um, so like when I see people complain about, oh, how can this be? I said, it's like the Flash. You know, it's like Judy Dench, Earth One, <laughs> yeah. Judy Dench, Earth Two. Pick, pick your Earth, whichever one. But yeah, that's that's all it is. It's- yeah, I just on a larger level, I hate the idea of having to think that you owe anyone an answer for that kind of thing. That kind of fan service is how we're going to end up with in when when Greg Wilson takes over this franchise and actually makes James Bond a code name. You know, I think that's going to it's hurtful. It's harmful. Somebody's head just exploded like scanners <laughs> when you mentioned that. <laughs> or, or, or like uh, that, or like that scene in The Dark Knight where the uh, Joker rams a pencil up the thug's <laughs> eye. That's how I feel. Listen, it's <laughs> coming, guys. Eye. Maybe we'll all be dead by then. Knock wood. At the rate they're going, we might be. That begs the question. Back to the you know what I was mentioning about when they eventually recast. If it's twenty six or twenty seven, do they reboot the character yet again, or do they go back and just say, well, he's a the same character with the same shared history as the first timeline. Or do they say nothing at all? Uh, they reboot again. Or do they say nothing at all? And you know, just... The smart thing is say nothing at all, but they'll probably say it's another they'll reboot. They'll reboot, and what gets, what gets away with what well, let them get away with it is the fact that had Craig quit after Skyfall, they would have recast that character. But it's going to be yeah. a 16-year span by the time that Bond 26 rolls around, right? And I think that that's, a, that's an entire generation. And I think that gives them an excuse and permission really to, to reinvent him again. And I'm kind of okay with that well, as well. Well, the, the other alternative is that Bond goes to uh, Netflix or somebody like that. Oh. Well, you just mentioned a 16-year timeline, Phil. That's scary because there are some parts where that's long enough to have been born and have oh, a kid. Yeah. There are people that are going to go see this Bond movie that were nine years old when the first, or you know, five years old when it came out. This this is the Bond that an entire generation has grown up with, um, and I think as older guys, I, I don't know about you guys, but the last fourteen years have flown by for me. Yeah, um, it, it just gets it's, faster. Yeah. It's, it's frightening. <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a waking nightmare. But for for a twelve year old who saw Casino Royale, they they're now an adult. And are going to go watch Daniel Craig's last Bond movie, and it's probably a big deal for them. I, I, I can only put it, you know, in the British perspective of like kids who grew up with Tom Baker as Doctor Who, because you know that what it was that that's a case where a character is so related yeah. to the actor that they, they lock, you know, their hip step with each other, and that was such a jarring recast. I. I was going to say I was going to do a B.A. Baracus and say pity the fool, but the whoever comes in well, is going to James. My, my Doctor Who was oh, I don't remember his name now. I had it in my mind a moment ago. The the, um, the one prior to Tom Baker, John Pertwee. John Pertwee. Yeah, but that's another case where somebody who inhabited the role for such a long time. How long was his um, run? It's going to. He he was in it for a long time. Nineteen seventy four to nineteen eighty one. Whoa! So that's it's <laughs> it's still only seven years. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, tell, <laughs> tell, tell that to a seven year old kid. So, all right. And they made how many episodes? Yeah, fair. 
Yeah, but when it's on every week, yeah, no. <laughs> that's the, you know hours of hours. And he is the one. He's the iconic one that in my childhood that made it over to to the states. Like I when when I was a kid and somebody said Doctor Who, Tom Baker's who I pictured. All he's the one that sort of made the biggest footprint, I think, for uh, culturally outside of the British uh, culture. Let's say here's another property that has some of the same elements as Bond. You have the good-looking hero, you have the colorful villains. You have the extremely odd character names, and you have gadgets, and that is the Dick Tracy comic strip. And uh, it was originally done by Chester Gould. He did it for 46 years. He retired at the end of 76. And so Max Allen Collins, who wrote The Road to Perdition, which was then the basis of a movie with Daniel Craig, he took over as the writer. And he attempted to put this nice kind of bow on things. So for the 50th anniversary of the strip, Tracy's just turned 50. Oh yeah, okay. So like every two years in real time is like one year in the strip. And so that kind of makes sense. Less than two years later, he threw it all out because he had a chance to bring back one of the original Chester Gould villains, Pruneface, who was a murderous Nazi saboteur. Instead of being dead, he had been put into suspended animation and been taken, <laughs> you know, thought out by Dr. Freeze Dry. And I actually read this because I was working at a newspaper in Birmingham, Alabama that carried the strip. And I'm like reading this three panels at a time every day. And it was great. He's like, it was just, you know, it was... A wonderful storyline, you know, it was, so that was a case of just sacrificing continuity such as it was and just like, oh, screw it. I got this great story. We're going to go with it. So if it comes to the idea of continuity versus story, I think you should go with the story every time and you can like explain away the. Yeah. And that's, that's on Her Majesty's Secret Service to a T. In my, even though they tried with the credits to sort of give flashbacks and whatnot to the other Bond movies in that moment where he's going through his desk drawers, the idea that he and Blofeld hadn't met before is flying in the face of the continuity of the previous film. Right. And, and I've said before on this podcast, I, you know, I saw in the theater, a double feature of majesties and diamonds. And just in that context, watching those two movies, you know, at the same sitting, it works fine. You know, you can like take from whatever majesties you want while you're watching diamonds, but you don't have to. And yeah, I just think audiences weren't so reliant on it. I mean, imagine a 2019 audience experiencing Charles Gray as Dicko Henderson in You Only Live Twice, and then some four years later, he's playing the villain opposite right. the same Bond. Like People would lose their minds now. It's just not allowed anymore. Right, and that Charles Gray example goes back to the thing about actors and yeah, plays. It's, it's a like rep company. Charles. Yeah, yeah, the other thing is um, yeah. a lot of audiences, especially in the States, wouldn't have necessarily seen them in the order they were released anyway at that point. So no. it meant even less. No, because you, chances are you came in in the middle. You might have seen Goldfinger first, and then like you're trying to right. catch up over time. But yeah, right. And the other thing with continuity is um, when Diamonds came out, there's the story and lack of continuity, and then there's the marketing, the conscientious decision to basically shit on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is forget everything we did in the last one. He's back. Don't worry about it. We got this. We're back on track. That summarizes the marketing. In the, in the horror world was Elm Street 2 and Elm Street 3. But yeah, they sort of pretended 2 didn't happen. Well, and, and actually, that's happened with other franchises. Sorry, it's another comic book <laughs> example. So in 2006, they had Superman Returns, where essentially they were saying, okay, Superman 1, Superman 2, we count that. Superman 3, ah, that, that doesn't count yeah. at all. And it's like, that gives you a headache trying to keep track. Well, what counts and what doesn't count? Just just do your damn movie and I'll, I'll catch up <laughs> a bit later. 
and last year's Halloween. We're getting to this place where it's sort of like a choose your own adventure continuity, where they just sort of pick what they want from the franchises and pick it up where they feel like it. It's happening a lot in uh, in horror and in sci-fi to some well, degree. I was going to but... say, Phil. I mean, Terminator Dark Fate is, I think, the ultimate ultimate example of <laughs> cherry picking retcon, if ever there was. Gosh, that's almost like the standard operating procedure for that franchise at this point. I think, but to me, Bond is different because Bond has been under one uh, roof, let's say, right, one production entity yeah, for yeah. fifty-seven yeah. years now. Um, so it's just such a weird sort of uh, petri dish example of, of continuity being adhered to, being ignored, doing that kind of thing. And it's just it was on my mind this week because they wrapped production, and I'm I'm just curious to see where on that spectrum uh, No Time to Die is going to live. I don't want Skyfall three. I, I derisively called Spectre's Skyfall two for a long time, but they they have planted a flag in terms of certain casting choices and whatnot. That this is definitely following. And picking up on the events of Spectre, what do you guys think we're in for in terms of that? How, how much of this is going to be its own thing that just happens to have to sort of tie up a loose end or two? Or is it tethered to this sort of, they've gone down this wrong road and they're still going down it? I, I'm hoping that at the end there's a, a helicopter scene and Bond dumps Christoph Waltz down a, a chimney stack. <laughs> at the end or the beginning? <laughs> at the end. Oh, Bond comes out of the shower. It was all a dream. But mind you, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, you're right. That it should be the beginning. Yeah. yeah tie up all the loose, loose beginnings in the pre-titles and then we don't need to worry about the rest of it. The rest of it can be a standalone. That's right. That's a fine Bond tradition. Yeah. Well, th- there were quite a few uh, fans who were talking, I don't know how seriously, about um, that the, the end of uh, Spectre is actually a dream after after Bond has had the uh, drill in his head. Yes, I've seen that theory too, yeah. It's like that would be a way to get out of it. But... You just pick up from the explosion onwards, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Blofeld, Blofeld, isn't, Blofeld isn't captured either that way. Go back and delete the last coder from Spectre. Because somewhere, somewhere in the last few days, I saw that they they're supposed to be doing a, an even bigger explosion than uh, than Spectre. For, but I, I think that I think yes. it was Phil. No pun intended, but nobody's heard yeah, about but it. No, no, it was Pinewood, wasn't it? It was accidental. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> if that was bigger than the one in Spectre, then half of like London is in trouble. But like... and again, that's like that scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker rams a pencil up the thug's eye. It's like ah. Uh, uh, that's about how I feel thinking about it. <laughs> What's the mood here? Are you guys excited about the next film or are you cautiously optimistic or you think that you're in for um, yeah, a bad ending to Craig's run? Uh, I'm, I'm always hopeful. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to it and I, I'm hoping that they, uh, they end Craig's run. But... I, I, think, I think the way to think about it is, would you stick or twist on Spectre being his last film? Oh, yeah. And I'd say twist. Uh, I guess I'm like, wait and see. It's like, and I've mentioned before uh, on previous episodes, a friend of mine, he keeps constantly instant messaging me. This this is going to be awful. This is going to be a disaster. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, I I just can't think of it that. First of all, I can't, I haven't seen the movie, so I I can't draw that conclusion yet. I'm hopeful. I'll put it this way. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Because I I wish it, it, it appears to be like really tethered to Spectre. But at the same time, maybe there's some stylistic things, some, you know, things I don't know because I haven't seen the movie yet. 
sure that will happen and will be entertaining and I'll still have a good time. Yeah. I, yeah. I think actually the thing that concerns me the most is four Aston Martins in one Bond film. That is yeah. overkill. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just, curious. I mean, I, you know, I, I love Aston Martins, but uh, four? I think you'll find there's uh, multiple Aston Martins yeah. in every James Bond film. Most of them are CG, obviously. You know what that means for Bond 26, though, David? <laughs> I'm going to need five. <laughs> you know, I'm not a screenwriter, so the dream, the dream is that, that they'll do something clever or interesting with four Aston Martins. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just hope there's a really good – it started with a story idea about especially the 87 model coming back rather than can we work four Aston Martins into the story, please. That kind of uh, pushing some gimmick on the screenwriters has happened in Bond films in the past where they've had to wedge these things in. Well, given your new amidst, what has been the things that have got you the most excited about the production of No Time to Die? And other than, you know, immense continuity with Spectre, what are you most looking forward to? Oh, goodness. I, <clears throat> there's a couple of things in the tea leaves that I think are worth getting excited about. One of them is Kerry Fukunaga. I think the idea of, a, of a, an exciting director who has pretty much only done really compelling work so far is, is a very good sign. Uh, that's gone wrong before, I guess, with Die Another Day. But... Carrie is, uh, I think he's a, a super talented director. I really loved True Detective. We- weirdly, I think the fact that Daniel Craig is doing a fifth one is a good sign because he does not, he did not need to come back. They wrote an ending into Spectre. I don't believe he's coming back for money. I don't think he needs the money. <laughs> and I, I weirdly got to speak with him for a brief time on the set of Knives Out. And uh, he seemed genuinely jazzed for it. Like not just not just lip service, and I wasn't there as a member of the press. My friend Noah is in the film, so I was just sort of a friend of of the uh, cast member, and he was just very candidly talking about how excited he was to do it. And I I don't know, it felt authentic to me. Uh, that said, I think that rumors about Walt coming back is probably not great. But if if they're coming back, maybe they're coming back to fix something. Maybe they're coming back to course correct a little bit. Uh, and that maybe that's more wishful thinking on my end, but. The idea that they all didn't just wash their hands and walk away, that they're all coming back. I don't want to be cynical and think it's about money, but... Well, especially um, Waltz, right? Because he was the one that was sort of like, said, I did a really bad job. I'm not really interested in doing this again. So something must have changed. And I don't think he's about money either. And I'm not, I'm not an expert in terms of like following production developments and whatnot. So I can only go with my hunches. But I will say that the, the you know, five of these films in now, the film is the film. I can't control what we're going to see. But the anticipation and the excitement, like, is the part of sometimes the best part of the, it was the best part of Spectre. It was getting, you know, getting excited for it. And so I'm enjoying, like, sort of living in hope about it right now and, and, and wondering what it could be and, and hoping for the best. It's a, it's a good energy to have as opposed to messaging Bill every day and saying it's going to be terrible. Yeah. So what's the other side of the coin is that <laughs> the marketing approach has been, you know, a lot less hands on this time. They've, granted a lot less access and maybe they were burned after sony hacks and you know sort of like trying to pretend that blofeld's not blofeld and all of this <laughs> sort of stuff but in terms of actually generating that excitement in you have they done enough have they done too little are they doing too much to give a give away what is happening fans are greedy fans always want more and more and more they always want everything i i I was under no illusion that they were going to drop a trailer on James Bond Day because no one in the world besides us knows what James Bond Day is. So it's not an occasion really for the planet. And for a movie that's coming out in April, I, I can tell you that when Us Us came out in March, 
Jordan Peele's film, that trailer dropped on Christmas. So I think mm. we shouldn't expect a movie to happen, a trailer to happen before the Star Wars film comes out. And they've, they've not been, you said they haven't been hands-on, or, but I think they've just been more purposeful. They've very, they've dropped very specific things. The way that Carrie's Instagram account has been like, you know, that's all going through the studio. That's all pre-approved stuff. That's very calculated. And I do know for a fact that the week they wrapped, there was a set visit for press that a friend of mine went to and I didn't. So I'm very upset about that. Um, so they're just being, I think, a little bit more purposeful. The Prince Charles visit was real smart, I think, even though all of our eagle-eyed fans were like, notice Bond has a visitor's badge on and note the seam number on that sleeve. He's still not an MI6 by this part of the movie. They don't give the the fans, the detective fans like uh, David Zariski and those guys out there enough credit for parsing those photos. I think people catch on in terms of what's happening when in the film, just by those slate drops mm-hmm. that they were doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I I, don't want to know everything. I'm okay with this level of information that we have right now. I, I agree with most of that because someone asked me, different person, are you upset? I said, I'm not upset. I, I'm not going to let myself get upset. Uh, no teaser trailer yet? Eh, I'm fine. When they finally come out with one, I'll watch it. But like, th- there's no yeah. reason to get upset. Like I've, yeah, I've been around I, the block a few times it's like i you know whatever you know whatever you want to do i'll take it and i'll take it in stride when you're ready to show it yeah i like the dance of it i've got a lot of friends who are, are writing about film and and they're always like hey i got this script you want to read the script for like a movie that's coming out or do you want to tell you what happens at the end of this and, and it's like kids who can't who are always looking under their parents beds for the christmas presents i enjoy christmas morning i liked opening the presents on the day. I don't need to know everything right now. Uh, there's certain forums that I follow and there's a spoiler thread that I've checked out of months ago because I don't know, I want to I have an experience in April. You know what I mean? I don't want to just sort of have my uh, the things I know confirmed or to just uh, check the box. I want, I want the event. And that's why I'm always against the idea of like a Bond Netflix series or a Bond HBO thing. I like that Bond's an event. At this point in my life, I like that there's something that's several years apart that I can look forward to. That's not, you know, and I know Bill's a fan of the Marvel films. I enjoy them too, but three or four of them a year, I probably don't, you know, it becomes less of an event, let's say. At, at three or four, yes, I, I, I would, agree. I would, cha- I, would ch- I would challenge most people to put the Marvel films in the order they were released. <laughs> I think Bill could do it though. That's not an invitation. I, I, I probably could. <laughs> um, am I, am I, no, Go. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just saying, if I thought about it hard, I could probably could. I was just going to say, I agree with most of what Phil said. Twice I've had the chance to see a script before the movie came out. And I looked at the experience because just my curiosity gets the best of me. And But even if you get a script before the movie comes out, there's always mm. change. You know, the, the two were, the world is not enough, which it turned out the script I got was not the final script. It was the Dana Stevens mid uh, mid script between the first draft and the final drafts. And the other one was, uh, was Spectre. And it was a script that came out a week before they started filming. But even that there were like, there was certainly one significant difference. Um, and actually the, the change in the movie was actually for the better. I still don't like the whole thing about uh, Blofeld being foster brother, whatever you want to call it, but at least yeah, what was in the final movie was better than what was in that script a week before uh, before filming, which was with a card game. Yeah, like with playing for uh, pistachios or whatever or walnuts, walnuts and just like you know, yeah. oh, I lost a poker game 
for not for real money. So this is how I become, became a supervillain. Like, what? Huh? You're right about that. But I did like that they had somehow shoehorned a card game into another Bond film. So I missed that. Yeah. Bond facing off against a villain in a, in a gambling game is just such a staple. And, and Craig hasn't gotten to do it in a while. Going back to what you're saying, Phil, about things you're looking forward to, something struck me last week. Because, you know, we've, we've talked to people who have seen bits of the film and teased trailer and stuff, and everybody's kind of come out and said it looks stunning and very fresh and different. And some of that's Kerry Fukunaga, but a lot of it is wholesale changes to the crew from mm. on this film compared to the previous Craig run. And if you see pictures of the rap party that was last Sunday, Everybody looks 25 oh, years well, old. Was it, was it last Friday? Weren't, weren't they filming still, still on Friday night? No, they, they filmed the scene, but I think they had a, I think they had the rap party that. It was Sunday. It was Sunday. Was it Sunday? Okay. All right. Yeah. I stand corrected. Um, Sorry. Now, two things. Either like the long-term crew members who have been around a long time, it wasn't their kind of thing to go to a party on Sunday night because it's a school night or whatever. Or we're going to see a lot of things different. And I think even if you look at the stuff that's leaked out about the costumes, because that whole department's been completely redone. The art department's been completely redone for this film. I think it's going to look very different to Craig's other movies. And that's what I'm excited to see. Yeah, it should, right? It should look different. Yeah, whereas we, you know, we had the Sam Mendes, I think, what was AJ called it? The mahogany double double feature where everything's glossy and uh, polished and everything. But um, I think we're going to see something a little bit raw and maybe a tinge of the 80s um, in this one. But I, I was surprised by the... As long as the 80s doesn't come out in the in the wardrobe department. Oh, I think it will a little bit. I think it will. Well, if you follow those Bond clothes, yeah. pl- clothing uh, collectors, they're, they're livid about the casual wear in this film. <laughs> livid about casual wear. That's, you know... <laughs> livid. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I should name my blog that. Livid about casual wear. My Bond fans journey. Yeah, I, 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 I love, you know, I'm, I'm talking out both sides of my face now, but I love tradition. I love the tradition of the Bond films and that it's this one franchise with these, you know, these same people driving the bus. But I do think that you've got to shake up the creatives now and then. And the idea that there's so many new younger faces in, in the new one uh, behind the camera can only be a good thing, I hope. I mean, I with you know, uh, to me, Sam Mendes, who was tasked with doing a second film, and I know you guys are your opinions vary, but I thought Skyfall looked beautiful, and I I thought Spectre almost because of the way Skyfall looked, he he made this creative choice to go another way with Spectre and really damaged the look of that film. In terms of No Time to Die, and another key figure is Linus Sandgren, director of photography. I think he's a key person to watch, you know, to see what he produced. I'm I'm really curious about. Is he Carrie's regular guy? I don't know about his regular guy, but he's a very talented guy. And he's like, what did he do? Did he do... Um... Carrie is Carrie's regular guy. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he did First Man, I mean, which is beautiful. Linus Sangren. He yeah. shot that on like yes. three or four different formats. It's really nice looking film. I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, as usual, I'm way behind the times here. Well, I mean, he did First Man. He did La La Land. And he's done a number of films that were like very visually striking. So... When when that news came out, okay, that caught my interest. So we'll see. Yeah, re- recently I I managed to catch up with with Train Spotting Two. I hadn't, hadn't managed to see it for various reasons with, for the cinema uh, cinemas around here. But then that, then that of course is Danny Boyle. I, I'm 
I'm actually glad, I, I was happy f when he was first announced for Bond 25, but I'm actually glad that he's out of the frame because I thought Trainspotting 2 was a very, very lazy bit of filmmaking. It, it relied just about purely on no nostalgia for the first film and uh, didn't really add anything new. So uh, <laughs> I think... Sounds like the Spectre review there, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Spectre fan, so... And this recent other film was um, yesterday, wasn't it? The right, sort of Beatles which, I, which I like. I, I went and saw that in the theater, and um, and so like I felt a little wistful leaving the theater. It's like, well, maybe he shouldn't have left the production, but you know, it's hard to tell, you know, because they're such different movies. I think he's the sort of director that would have treated it on its merits in terms of you know this is the kind of the kind of film that. I'm expected to make into the under these conditions, right? If David says transporting two is lazy, I'm not surprised. It's a sequel, right? Sure. It's a sequel that was designed to be like, hey, let's trade in on the excitement and um, nostalgia for the original film. But some of the some of his original things have been very well respected. And also, the composer on some of his recent movies is a guy named Daniel Pemberton, who I think is like really good. Disclosure, I had a chance to interview him via email uh, four years ago when he was doing the Man from Uncle movie for Guy Ritchie. And he was like a, you know, he's like a very open guy and he's like talking about different things. So I, I think the guy's got talent. So had, you know, had Boyle done Bond 25, I suspect Pemberton would have been the composer. Well, but you, know, you never know, know, right, probably. David? No. Unless you never know, <laughs> based on some things happening today. He, I, I think he scored uh, a television series. I, what the hell was it called? It, it was. I think it was set in the seventies, and it was all you know, Cold War stuff. I can't remember exactly what happened. And uh, if, if I'm right, the, the, the score was really, really good. And I, I think, he, based on that as long as I've got the right composer, uh, he, he'd make an excellent Bond composer. I Well, here's the thing. Pemberton knows what goes into a Bond score because when I did that interview in 2015 with him, Guy Ritchie was like emphatic, I don't want a Bond score. I don't want a Bond score. To be able to not do a Bond score, you have to know what a Bond score is in the first place. <laughs> and... You know, and, and so like at one point, one of the tracks, apparently Richie said, well, you're a little Bondy, but I'll let that go through. And, and I thought, you know, his score was like one of the best parts of that movie. And the one thing that old farts like me, like, could you could you've had more? Could you've had the Jerry Goldsmith theme just in the end titles of nothing else? But, you know, Richie wouldn't let him. And he like worked it in in a very, you know, obscure way. It's like three notes on a on, on a radio is apparently all he could do but and I appreciated the I appreciated the effort but it was probably just as well he didn't hadn't tried but his score for the movie was great so bill if in theory there's a, a vacancy in the scoring on no time to die would you plump for Pemberton or Arnold oh that's a tough question because Arnold has so many followers in the bond community I wouldn't be the I, I wouldn't want to be the guy to like deny them that. Um, but on the other hand, if they were like determined not to have Arnold come back, it's got to be a new guy. I would be like Pemberton would like be a good choice uh, to consider. Um, 
So I guess I'm uh, I guess I'm like trying not to be, be very too diplomatic either though. way. Yeah. Bill's being Switzerland right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So should David Arnold also not be available, your votes for Pemberton? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I go back to saying, if somebody tells you, I don't want a bond score, you have to know what a bond sure. score is in the first place. And he's British. So yeah, I suspect he knows what a bond right. score is. Should we uh, come back to some continuity questions? Sure. <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit about as a Bond fan, you get bailed up by people on the street slash people who know you're a Bond fan and they want to talk about something. They've got a bone to pick about something in, in the franchise. And more and more recently it's been, but that thing doesn't fit together or, but what's the point of that? Why is Judy Dinch there or whatever, right? Like, is it more annoying for you to have to field questions about why continuity doesn't work versus why continuity is um you know, stretching belief. I think in recent in recent years, Judy Dench coming out for Casino was the big one that everybody talked about. But since Spectre came out, that's kind of disappeared. Like, there's so many issues with Spectre that Judy coming back for the second run is like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's that's not the worst offense in the last twenty years. Specifically with Skyfall, it's like okay, it's like the DB5 is the Goldfinger car and. I guess Purvis and Wade originally wrote it as the car that Bond won in Casino Royale, but Mendes wanted you know it to be the Goldfinger car. Anyway, every time I saw it in the theater, that got a big rise from the audience. The audience didn't yeah. care about that. To so. me, when people get <clears throat> real caught up in continuity stuff and, hey, but what about this? But what about this? Why is it like this? To me, it's more interesting to talk to them about why it's important to them, what, why stuff needs to line up that way. There's a friend of mine who hosts another Bond podcast, Matt, Matt Myra, uh, which is James Bonding. And he is, he just keeps doubling down on the idea that, well, no, it has to all fit. James Bond should be a code name. Everything that you saw in the franchise before Craig happened between Quantum and Skyfall. <laughs> and it's like, it to me, it's, it's, a, it's wow. a compulsion to have everything in its proper place, to have everything line up and match. And I get that. You know, there's evidence of that on my shelves. But for, for the movies, it's just a different kind of kind of priority for me. I, I have to mention this because David <laughs> will remind me if I don't. So like I have brought up in the past the weird stuff between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. But part of the reason I, I have done so is because Eon made that a big part right. of the marketing campaign. This takes place however long. You know, they, they were kind of inconsistent on on the yeah. time lapse between the two, but like two hours, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. And to me, it's like, much air is in that trunk. Yeah. But, but to me, the one thing that's like the, the most glaring is about math is, is like living in a villa that MI6 bought him and he's got his live-in girlfriend. And it's like, wait a minute, at the end of the movie, he was being sweated. They, they still thought he was a traitor. And, uh, you know, just that seems well, incredibly Well, they, they, they told Mattis that, but it was actually an Airbnb. Oh, is that what, is that what it was? Oh, oh I, I stand corrected. <laughs> or M was lying to Bond. Keeps, she goes, keep sweating him. She's like, yeah, we will. Meanwhile, he's like signing the lease on that <laughs> villa in Italy. It's like, yeah. oh, we fucked up. Sorry. In, in fact, in fact, to 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 uh, to bring all that crashing down to real life, I, I don't know if it's available on Airbnb, but you can rent that villa on Booking.com. Yes, 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 you can. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that. David I was writing about it yesterday, actually. 
<laughs> Very good. But you know, why why would why would Mattis, who's French, retire to Italy? Oh, uh, you know, there's 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 all sorts of issues with that whole. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I'm American, I'll retire to Italy. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to buy me a villa. Because the location nothing, manager got a good deal. Well, nothing to do, <laughs> nothing to do with the Italian tax incentives. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine. No, 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 no. A big no. Bond friend of mine who hates the current uh, franchise uh, position says that the the locations are chosen based on locations that the producers saw in an airline magazine somewhere. Okay. <laughs> He's very cynical about it. Well, you know, uh, Living Might Die went to the south because they fancied a party. So the series is better yeah. I mean, having said, having said all that, Matera looks fantastic. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Really, really uh, great choice uh, from the look of it. But uh, it, I, I'm sure it's going to be uh, flooded with even more tourists than it already has. And I'm sure there are plenty. Judging by all the uh, the, the um, videos, mobile phone footage, <laughs> that, that for about three weeks or whatever it was, were like flooding my uh, flooding my Twitter feed. Here's another here's another angle of that car chase. Here's another angle. Good movie or bad movie? It's going on the list for a, a vacation spot. My wife and I this summer paid some boat guy named Ringo to take us out to where uh, the house is in Jamaica, off off of Port Antonio. And the house is gone. Okay, yeah. But is it? if you get to Jamaica and you get somebody to take you to Port Antonio, take, ask them to take you where the Blue Lagoon is, and then you give Ringo 50 bucks, and Ringo will take you on a half-hour boat ride to, I believe it's Cold Water Bay or Cold Harbor Bay, one of those. And that's where Bond's house is in Jamaica, or was. Oh, I was. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten you'd been to Jamaica this year. I, I was uh, pretty envious of uh, some of the – photos you shared on twitter well i I, i'm telling everybody golden eye from like may to december is half price because of construction and uh that's the only reason we were able to go uh but we went on the early side of that and they're on some sort of jamaican time schedule and they had not started a lick of construction so it was completely empty completely (laughs) quiet and half price and i could not recommend it more and we stayed in one of the bungalows but on on the last on on the last day there's a wrecking yeah it's checkout time (laughs) (laughs) uh it's a great it's a great spot it's a great trip um the second you step out of that compound jamaica is a whole different place uh but i think it's equally important to see that and to see what what life is like there and uh, we obviously could not afford the Fleming villa but we pestered the front desk lady every day until some group of italians checked out of the villa and we were allowed to do a walkthrough so did you sit in the seat at the desk phil Mm. you know i sat in that seat come on (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was one of the photos that, yes. that you shared. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. It's really something special to check out. I recommend it. Here's a question then: continuity that actually worked, that was subtle. One example I was thinking of was. Uh, the start of the pre-titles of Furies Only, where Rogers Bond lays the flowers at Tracy's grave, which was written for yes. a new Bond actor, but they kept it in. Right. They kept it in anyway. Um, I think that that kind of thing. Also, you know, in Rogers' era, you know, the nod to Tracy in the little chit-chat he has with Anya at the bar in The Spy Who Loved Me is good. Um, it doesn't have it. It doesn't have to be in your face, neon signposted. Here's the continuity, people, and I think no. that's maybe where recent attempts have failed is because they've tried like they've assumed the audience is stupid right 
I was about to say, when For Your Eyes Only was coming out, like after uh, Moonraker, which I had enjoyed at the time, but it's like, are they going to do another Moonraker? Is like the villain going to have something with rockets or whatever? And then when I started seeing back then, like it was a lot, you know, that it came out a lot slower, but I started seeing some uh, stills, including the one with the helicopter with the Universal Exports logo on the side. Whoa, what? what's this? In fact, the still actually had the uh, pseudo Blofeld. I didn't know what to make of that. And then when I actually saw the movie and they made the reference, you know, with the tombstone and, and all that, it's like, whoa, okay, all right, we are in different territory. But again, they didn't like, you know, hammer you over the head with it. Um, and they also, and I mentioned before, there was a line in the script where the pseudo Blofeld says, this is the 10th anniversary of our last encounter, which would be a reference to diamonds. That wasn't, that was snipped out of the hmm. movie, but it's in the Marvel comics adaptation. But yeah, that was, that was good. And it's like, it was so good. Like I'm willing to overlook um, a delicatessen in stainless <laughs> steel. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's unfortunate, but like I'm willing to over overlook it because the rest of it's so good yeah who thought that was a good idea though? cubby broccoli yeah yeah i had an opportunity to show back in 2015 uh when specter was on the horizon i was invited to program a triple feature of like specter centric bond movies and i cheated a little bit i did for your eyes only and then we watched honor majesty secret service and i didn't even think about this but i wanted to sort of I wanted to make sure Roger was in there, even though Roger didn't interact with Spectre. So I programmed For Your Eyes Only to start after On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it plays amazingly well when it's pl- like buttressed up against each other. It's funny you mentioned that, Phil, because um, Joe Darlington, a couple of weeks ago, when we did our double feature episode, came up with that exact combo as his dream double feature. Oh, sorry, Joe. I did it in 2015. <laughs> sorry, you missed it. <laughs> maybe but he was there he was there his, his memory's just so bad it's possible he's got all those james bond cocktails running through his brain well and also in terms yeah. of marketing the uh, home video they like retconned it and said they declared it to be part of the specter <laughs> oh weird. yeah yeah you know, it's like wait a minute okay i guess it i guess he really was blofeld well then like well maybe he wasn't maybe he was but like at some point they put out a home video promo that said he was so Amazing. Does anybody get any other nice touches they like? Well, obviously, J.W. Pepper being in two films back to back. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but um, and that they never explored his backstory. That that uh, that was um, very remiss of them. It's, uh, <laughs> oh God, we lost out. Yeah. We lost. We out want there. the J.W. Pepper origin story. Yeah, we need yeah, a yeah, reboot. How, how did J.W. Pepper become a racist? Oh, my God. Well, I don't really... <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget they're, they're Democrats. Well, they'd be Republicans now. The one thing that nobody's mentioned is um, Desmond Llewellyn. In terms of, is there a longer thread through the series of continuity than his cue? No, not at all. You know, from 63 to 99. Middle, they skipped over Live and Let Die, but um, no, that's that's... Well, he had a longer run than than any of the Bonds. Well, let me think about this. So, so Lois Maxwell started one film before him, sixty-two, and she was out by eighty-five. Eighty-five was oh, her he last for, one. He went. He had all Frost's run, which my brain tends to forget about. Well, I mean, I was thinking of elements of the franchise because not even the Walter PPK made it that long because you know Bond changed his gun and octopus in a couple other movies. In terms of elements of the franchise that stayed the same, he still had a PPK at the beginning of 
twine, the world is not enough, and they changes. No, I'm sorry. The um, tomorrow never dies. I, I stand corrected. Yeah, he still had the PPK at the start of uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. And he switches to the P99 midway through the movie because Wei Lin has has apparently about a dozen of them. Oh, well, thanks, New Walter. And that's gone through casino. But Kurt, somebody tell me is isn't not in fact doesn't he pick up the villain's gun in Casino Royale so that the gun barrel shot he's actually holding a PPK or am I wrong? I haven't heard that story, and uh, I'm just trying to uh, imagine the scene. And uh, it's my, the my big bathroom was, fight. No, no, I I know I know what scene you're, you're referring to. I'm just trying to uh, sure, sure. get the zoom in on the detail, but uh, there's no way my my mind will do that so i just i just double checked here yeah. octopussy was a p5 it wasn't the ppk so that 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 run ended in yeah but, but the thing is though they sometimes messed up with guns the crew did and so it's hard to tell because like in goldfinger when he's like uh he's driving the uh db5 and he tells uh tilly to go make a run for it he's holding a p38 uh and he's shooting at you know but i assume i always assumed that was just the crew screwing up so in terms of continuity then maybe it's the tuxedo because that's in terms of unbroken run in all of the 24 films well wait a minute except though they didn't have a tuxedo in from russia with love because it was bond's double wearing the tuxedo <laughs> mm-hmm. and he and you only live twice and you only live twice and live and let die he doesn't wear a tuxedo oh, yeah. there so even that it's not unbroken i mean it's a long run no make no mistake but it wasn't exactly unbroken. I, I, I've got one, but it's it's going to uh, annoy some of our listeners, I know. And he is still a white male. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. For now. Yes. <laughs> For now. That's funny. Raindrops are falling on my head. And just like the man who's been a too big for his bed. And nothing seems to fit. said I don't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling Send to meet me, won't defeat me. 